Welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your host, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Shalom. Good Hi. to be with you. So this week it's Hosea. And Hosea is how it's spelled and how it looks. But in, in Hebrew, it's Hoshea. Hoshea. And a... it's the same word as Joshua, Yeshua, uh-huh. Joshua, meaning deliverer, salvation, save, which is the same word in Greek, Jesus. Interesting. Okay. So uh, oftentimes um, it's pronounced differently to keep the prophets separate. But today, let's call him Yeshua. Um, okay. Um, um, so this is before they started naming, you know, first Nephi, second Nephi. <laughs> you know, this first is way before. Let's start with a timeline. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's start with a timeline. Okay. So this wonderful prophet is the first of the minor prophets. So no longer are we going chronological. You know, we've had first Kings and second Kings, and then the prophets were sort of in line up to the time of the Babylonian empire. And now we start going by size of book and they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we have to jump into different time zones. So do you remember after Solomon the kingdoms divide to northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And those northern kingdom has been separate now for about 150 years when Hoshea comes along as called as a prophet. And he is prophesying of the Assyrian empire that's about to come and take them over. And at the same time that Hoshea is prophesying to the northern tribes, which are called Israel, Samaria, Ephraimites, um, the same time he's giving those messages, Jonah leaves that area and goes to prophesy to the Assyrians. Now, remember, he doesn't want to go, but we'll talk about Jonah later. But it's interesting to see that Isaiah is down in the south prophesying at the same time the Hoshea is up in the north. And they overlap with Micah and Amos and Joel and Jonah, but not any of the Babylonian prophets that we've been talking about. So Ezekiel's way in the future, Jeremiah, Daniel, all those are 150 years in the future. So this is before the fall of Israel. So we can interpret this as these are some things lead to that lead to the fall, leave them vulnerable. Yes. And, and we're talking about the time frame of um, probably he served for about 30 years and it was between 780 and 715 B.C., so, you know, he's talking, we're talking about, you know, a hundred years before Lehi is preaching as well. Right. Um, if we're going to look at it in the context of the Book of Mormon. But Hoshea has, it starts out with this wonderful list of the kings that reigned. So we can tell who he's serving with. And you remember in Elijah's years, we had that awful King Ahab. Yeah. The second worst king in my book is Jeroboam the second. Right. And that's who is serving now. That's who he is preaching against. And Jeroboam the second gets mad at him and tells him to go away and all this other stuff. But um, the other thing that's interesting about the historical background of of the the context of the book itself is that he is a poet. It's beautiful poetry, mm. and they had lovely language there. And it's divided into these two or three sections. And um, the themes that come out are God's faithfulness and Israel's unfaithfulness. I feel like this is one of our best books on God's covenant relationship. And it's also a book that is so saturated with symbolism 
that it's sometimes hard to get to the real point of the story. But the bottom line is always repentance brings the restoration and that Christ is going to overcome everything. But God's covenant is really clear. And as we read about the text, it we see God's emotions, his love and his kindness. It, it's really beautiful. But the three different sections are the first three chapters, Hosea 1 through 3, talk about how um, they're his wife is personally unfaithful. Right. This is all on the marriage, their children, their separation, and then their restoration or their redemption. They, when Hoshea goes back and restores and, and pays for and redeems um, his wife, Gomer. The next section, chapters 4 through 13, is the longest, and that talks about the national unfaithfulness and a lot of accusations and warnings to Israel before the final chapter, Hoshea 14, where God is faithful. And we have this beautiful restoration of the Lord. Anything else before, I guess, the themes? What do you- let's, go, let's go back to the, the, the you know, core questions and then the themes. Great. Go ahead. So how does this bring me closer to Christ? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? You're going to have to help me on the Book of Mormon, but I think this really can help us live a Christ-like life. And I think we see the symbols of Christ because I see one of the themes is mercy and God's loving kindness. That is, his, he is so patient and long-suffering that he will even take back and go to all sorts of efforts to buy back a wicked, adulterous harlot, you know, just... Yeah, I, I see the same thing. I see this... This is a just a wonderful book about the justice and mercy of God. Of God. And repentance right? is available for everybody at all times. Yeah. Yeah. And Jose as a type of Christ, both in, mm-hmm. in terms of prophetic, if you keep on this track, here's what will happen. Mm-hmm. As well as um And unfortunately we see I'll provide, I am the path back. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Israel's hypocrisy at the same time that we right. see God's greatness. You know, the, the opposition between God's faithfulness and Israel's unfaithfulness is is really clear. Before we jump into the text, though, I think one of the hardest things to do is understand these symbolisms. And starting back in Isaiah, do you remember we started having some symbols of God being married to to Jerusalem or God being married to Zion, and then Israel was their child? And understanding that God and humanity's covenants are like a marriage covenant is key to understanding this book of Yeshua because this most solemn covenant between people is what God uses to tell the story here. He said, I want you to use a marriage story to see my love for you. And so whenever there's idolatry, it's consistent with adultery. And the word adultery in the ancient languages, is far more than just a married person um, having intercourse with someone else. It, it's anything that breaks the law of chastity. So in our book, it would include pornography and inappropriate thoughts as well as um, fornication. You know, we, we have it all divided into different things, but that's all under the same umbrella. So anytime you're leaving God's covenant, you are a woman of the whoredoms or you are a son of the whoredoms. God being the husband of um, Hosha is God and then his wife. 
Do you remember when Nephi warns us that the prophesying of the Jews is hard to understand? Right. So that's that's what we have to keep in mind on the book of Hoshea. <laughs> just just remember that. Just keep in your mind this marriage covenant. Right. You know, well, the, when the it New says Test- harlot, it just means unrighteous. Harlotry, right. unrighteousness. Yeah. We see this a lot in the, you know, I, I'd like to reread all the bridegroom prophecies in the New Testament as well, right? Oh, of course. In fact, the Savior gives two parables on the right. bri- the feast of the bride and bridegroom. Right. The great. So after this, I'll probably go back and read this because, you know, preparing for this, I, I hadn't really thought through uh, that part of it. But, you know, I think it is an important thing to uh, to look at. In, With in that symbolism in mind. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me, um, these first three chapters, God commands his prophet to marry a, a harlot. Yeah. And is that really, did this happen? You know, I don't want to ever cut short something that God has asked us to do, but we do not know. So is it allegorical or literal? I don't know, but I do know that Hosha gives us one clue. In chapter 12, toward the very end, he says, the Lord gives us commandments as prophets. Our whole lives are types of Christ. Mm. Let, let me read it to you. It doesn't say, you, you won't see the same words in there, but I think that's the meaning. So this is the Lord speaking. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions. I've used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. So I think he takes the prophets' lives, and then they are typifying of his people or of his his own life, of our Savior. Remember, Joseph and Mary had to go down to Egypt, and it says God called them out of Egypt, just like the children of Israel were called out of Egypt. And we see repeatedly, these lives of the prophets are types of what was happening. We saw it in Ezekiel, we saw it in Daniel, and now we're going to see it in Hoshea. Even though chronologically, this is now back, you know, 150 years before the Babylonian exile, it's before the Assyrian exile. That's what the whole prophecy is about, is trying to get everybody shaped up before that time period. Okay, with all that as background, are you ready to jump into let's, chapter let's one? Ch- chapter one. Okay, it starts out in the same way that Joel and Micah and Zephaniah start out. The word of the Lord came unto, and then it lists the name of the prophet. So there's a lot of continuity in the minor prophets on how they begin. And even in looking at some of the major prophets, do you remember Jeremiah had this multiple times? The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, and then it would list some of his statements. So it's a beautiful way to begin the book. And um, he gives us his timelines of what kings he's serving under, which is all helpful because we can just look at our chart and say, okay, it's about 750, give or take 20 years on either side, that this is all coming to pass. And verse two, here comes the clincher. Do you want to read it? Yeah. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go, take thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he, he tells him exactly why. I want you to do this because I want the people to see it. The people are not hearing my voice, so I want them to see it. And I want to read for you the Berean Study Bible. It's also a very literal translation, and it reads, Go, take a prostitute as your wife and have children of adultery because this land is flagrantly prostituting itself and departing from the Lord. Hmm. So they're a little clearer on whoredoms. What does whoredoms mean? Prostitute. Hmm. At least that's um, how most English translations, I've read 20 or 30 in preparation for this, and most of them translate it 
um, using a sexual sin, referring to that. So poor Hosha obeys, and Gomer bears him three children, and the idea that this family is becoming a mirror of the society includes on how the Lord tells him what to name these children. And it's chapter one is so scary to hear what he names the children, but by the time we get to chapter two and chapter three and four, it, it, you feel better about it. It reverses. Mm. What else do you like about chapter one, John? Well, chapter one, what stands out to me is verse 10, and let's just read it here. Yet Why the don't you read it? Yeah. yeah, yet the number of, children, of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, the Abrahamic covenant, mm. right? I mean, blatantly there. So you, you have this story, which you're talking about, which we've set up in, in chapter one, this, you know, Adulterous Mar- situation. Mary, Mary mm-hmm. no, he knows full well what he's getting into, right? You know, mm-hmm. at the commandment of the Lord, suffers this heartbreak, right? Mm-hmm. And so in all of this, the Lord is, don't forget my covenant, right? Mm. This is what this is. You know, even with all these terrible things happening to you. Let's always remember God's purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. It's going to be for the good. For me, this resonates on a number of issues because, you know, he he went into this knowingly, but there's so many times where so much suffering happens to us mm-hmm. from other people, right? Mm-hmm. His wife was unfaithful to him. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure he the, hoped that she would not be hoped, unfaithful. Right. And he did everything in his duty. And yet here he is. And the Lord is just saying, yet the number of children shall be as the sand of the sea. This, this Abrahamic covenant, oh. I will take care of you. And keep keep going. I love verse 11 too. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together yes. and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So I love this. Like, you know, hard things are happening to you. You were born in a time of, 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 of a terrible time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and if you live your covenant, it's the blessing. And he ties in the names of these children right. in that verse as well, because he says, you are not my people. They will not be called the children of the living God, but then he's going to gather them together and he will be their God. And it, it reminds me a little bit about there is always a need for consequences. We are, if, if we're here to learn and grow, we, if we don't have consequences, we are not able to learn and grow as easily. It's much easier to stop the two-year-old from running into the street or stop the eight-year-old from lying if you stop it at age eight rather than age 28. Right. You know, it's so much easier to get in good habits. And do you remember the Lord taught Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail? Reprove be times with sharpness. Reprove immediately with sharpness mm. when moved upon by the Holy Ghost and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love toward him whom thou hast reproved. That's um, section 121, verse 43. I see the Lord doing the same thing. You know, he's, mm. he's reproving betimes with sharpness. He's telling them they are out of line. And if they don't learn their lessons now, it's going to be harder for them in the future. They're going to be cut off. They're going to have to have the consequences of their behavior. Yeah. Beautiful chapter one. Do you want to move on to chapter two? Let's move on to chapter two. So it sounds like um, Gomer leaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wants to go back to her first lovers, and the wife goes back to the life of, uh, of a prostitute or something, and saying to your brethren, my people and my sisters and my loved one. But in chapter two, verse two, he says, "Children, plead with your mother, put away your whoredoms." The kids are pleading, but it sounds to me like there's also a divorce announcement here. He says, Hosha says, I am not her husband. 
Mm. You know, I am not the one she loves. She she has a, a dual relationship here then. And it's very clear in verse 5, Gomer has played the harlot. And she says, I'll go to my other lovers. And I think her other lovers are representing the false gods in her life. And how do you define a false god? Um, I've thought, I've thought about this and I haven't come to my full conclusion yeah, yet, but, a... but, 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 but where I am is this, is anything idolatrous, anything that takes you away from the love of the Lord. If you love something else more than the Lord, um, you want to yeah. follow the philosophies of men or the social stigma of the day rather than what the prophet is saying. Or, exactly. Yeah. Every, everything from, and it could be something, a good thing even, that's just taken too far out of context or zealous and so on. So I even look at our Sabbath worship. What yes. are we doing on the Sabbath? Does that show our devotion and respect that, for God? That my mind was in the same place. In fact, when I, I try to measure that, what what is my false God? It's, well how I break the Sabbath. Usually, right? <laughs> it's like whatever that is. Also, verse five of chapter two, I think has temple symbols. Do you remember mm. in the holy place, there's that little table with the bread, the 12 loaves of bread and mm -hmm. the wine. So in verse five, we've got a reference to the bread and the water, the wool and the sheep, the flax, the linen, and the oil. And these are all symbols that were used in the temple for covenant making with God right before we enter into his presence. The priests are dressed in this beautiful linen and it's um, the oil is used in their anointing after they're washed and clothed. And I see these symbols being used here for false worship and hopefully coming back to God at some point, you know, that she's, yeah. she's being a hypocrite and using these things incorrectly. Yeah, she likes that. them outside of the temple setting. You know, she wants them with her false gods. She wants the blessings of the temple in the world's way. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about the Sabbath a little bit earlier. Look at verse 11. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, mm. her new moons, and her Sabbath days. All her appointed festivals. God's saying, she's not worshiping correctly. My spirit's not going to be there. None of these things are going to be a fulfillment of what I have promised because... Her heart's not there. But starting in verse 14, um, you know, Hosha has to go and get her back and love her. And he said, I'm going to persuade her. I will speak kindly to her. And um, then in verse 15, in addition to having it appear as if it's still in um, that time period, we see a messianic prophecy. We see the symbolism that it's representing. Uh, do you want to read Hosea 2.15? And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Anchor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. So we go back to this idea that God called them out of Egypt. Yeah. And he now will go back um, a little bit later in chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You know, that's actually quoted in the New Testament as well. In Matthew, yeah. uh, out of Egypt, I called my son. So there's beautiful messianic prophecies there. But um, verse 18 goes back to the marriage relationship with Hosha and Gomer. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. He said, I, I don't want you to leave again. I promise you, I will take care of you. I promise you. But if you're going to come back, you've got to live within my, my bounds. I think he goes back and forth and gives a prophecy of the millennium, though, in chapter 
2, verse 18 at the same time. He says, I want to betroth you forever. And then he talks about the promise of what can happen if they stay married. And the promise is, quote, on that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts, the field and the birds of the air. And then skipping down, I will abolish the bow and the sword and the weapon of war and I will make them lie down in safety. Doesn't this sound like the marriage feast when the lamb... Beating the, the swords and the plowshares. Yeah, and yeah, to me, this is yeah, the does. real marriage feast that is being prophesied of when our Savior will come again. Verse 19 to 20, I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in loving devotion and compassion. You know, we just see so much of God's emotion here. He's, yeah. he's just, his, it's just beautiful. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. But the reason why the Lord can stipulate these bounds is because he has to pay for her. And that's not until chapter three. So going from these these promises of faithfulness and in in 21st thing I'm thinking about, Dasha, the Lord, her testimony comes, right? I hope. <laughs> I, I feel that, like I, for me, that's what that means, right? So, so she she goes after these lovers. She's hoping to have the blessing. She's hoping to mm-hmm, find happiness mm-hmm. outside the covenant, which we know isn't true. Doesn't Wicked, happen. Wickedness never was happiness, right? And so it doesn't happen. And then the Lord is just there through these verses we just read, saying, "You know, come back to the covenant, and I can give you all these things that you've been looking for, and really heal your heart." Which for me is like, you know, if you know the Lord, your heart is healed. And that's where he reverses the names of these children, too. Mm. Still in chapter 2, verse 23. Do you want to... Um, I will sow. Remember, God sows was Jezreel. And I will sow unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. That's the second child. And I will say unto them that were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. So there's the hope that it comes back. And so now with that as the prophecy that God has given to Hoshea, you have to go back and get her. This is what I want to establish. Chapter three begins with this second marriage or a remarriage. And Isaiah, uh, Hoshea has to go and find Gomer and redeem her. And it looks to me as if I don't know how adultery was organized in the ancient world or prostitution, but Hosha has to pay for her. He goes back to her owner and pays for her. And initially I thought, oh, only 50 shekels of silver. I thought a slave was 30 shekels of silver, according to Exodus chapter 21 of 32 and Leviticus 27, 4. But then I thought, oh, maybe that's for a man. Maybe it was only half price for a woman. I don't know. But I read a different commentary that said, no, he says, I'll give you 15 shekels of silver. And then he tells him how much barley he's going to give you, how many bushels there. And the weight of that, the homer of barley, 10 shekels or 14 bushels, is how much a donkey could carry. That's how they determined what, a, what it was going to be. And that was worth, up. it says it's one and a half. So um, now we have 15 shekels of barley and 15 shekels of silver. So he still buys her back for the price of the slave. And do you remember how much Judas Iscariot received for turning in the Lord? 30 pieces of silver. Price of a slave. So I'm just trying to point out all the types of Christ that we see here. But he's buying him back. And the purchasing starts in verse 3. And I just love this. Since I live in a free world, I don't really think about Redeemer 
as someone who actually had to pay for you to get out of jail, you know, they paid your bond or whatever, they paid your, um, had to work in your place. But it's so helpful to see our Savior as a Redeemer of one who actually had to go and pay for the price for us. That's just what's happening here with Hoshea with his wife, Gomer. And this beautiful symbolism, um, the Lord tells them um, in verse 5, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And I think this is referring to the seed of David, which right. will be um, Jesus, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. I mean, the verse that comes to mind is from the Savior, you're bought with a price, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what comes here. And then these next 10, ten chapters just reinforce this point. So we leave now the marriage story from these first chapters, and then the next 10 just talk about this covenant relationship, but it's always in the context of repent, repent, repent. Come back. There's a beautiful series of prophecies that just teach of Israel's sins. Um, Chapter 4 starts out, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath the controversy with the inhabitants of Israel, because there is no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Do you remember the word knowledge? Sometimes you remember in the New Testament when it says, Mary tells angel Gabriel, I know not a man. So that's the same knowledge, no. And it it refers to a very intimate knowledge, a very close knowledge. In fact, in Mary's situation, it was referring to um, um, intimacy, an intimate knowledge. But it's a complete knowledge when we're reading it here. You know, they have no, they don't have no complete understanding. So it's, um, the Israelites are lacking in love, they're lacking in integrity, and they're lacking in, in intimacy with me. A lot of people may know that Jesus, details of Jesus' life, but they don't have an intimate knowledge of his spirit and his love and this this shows up in Laman and Lemuel versus Nephi's mm. um, conversion, right? They both right? are knowing their scriptures, but they have internalized them very differently. Yeah, one has an intimate knowledge of the Lord and is able to therefore navigate. I'm so much glad better. you brought up Book of Mormon. Thank you, John. <laughs> Good job. So, one thing that stood out to me in verse one, which has me a little confused, is they have no truth and no mercy, right? And so, for me, mercy is this idea of. God's loving kindness. Yeah, God's loving yeah. kindness. I, I am in the bonds of justice, which we just talked about within the first three. And justice for me is is truth, right? And so for me, if they're abandoning truth, which, you know, they <laughs> have, it, they have, um, and there or is permanence still, yeah, or stability, and, honesty, whatever. Right. And there still is no mercy. It, it means to me that they are, they are holding people to standards that are just not true. That's interesting because the, in Hebrew, the word mercy is the kind of love that translates into action. Mm. So it's not just enough to say, I love God. You know, Jesus says, I could raise up these stones. You know, you're only going to be called the children of God or the seed of Abraham if you live, if you live the works of God and the works of Abraham or whatever. And so as we look at God saying there's no stability or permanence or kindness or unfailing love in you, this people, they don't know me at all. I don't think he's declaring what has to be. I think this is that section that gives the general overview. I'm sure there were some people like Isaiah down in Judea that were um, striving to have this kind of relationship with God. But, but um, as a nation. But as a nation up in Israel, the northern 
nation of Ephraim, Samaria, Israel, whatever you want to call it, it, it they have rejected that knowledge. I'll, I'll read another translation of, of verse 4. Because you have rejected knowledge or this intimate opportunity that I gave you to learn of me, I will also reject you as my priests. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Mm. So the consequences are you can only enter into my presence when you live my commandments. If you're not going to be living my commandments, you're not going to be able to enter into my presence. So that means your seal of your children is not going to be intact. There is no connection. You are going to lose them. And I will forget them because we are no longer sealed. But it's not that God has moved. It's because you have run away from God. And it's tragic that he even denounces their priests here. But it, it sounds like it's quite filled. And remember, the northern tribes do not come down to Jerusalem. They built those false golden calves right. in um, from the very first Jer um, Jeroboam um, built the golden calf in, Be in Dan and Bethel. And those were their two borders, the northern and southern border, when they worshiped there. So he's saying, you know, your priests are not really even worshiping me. They're not following the law of Moses. They're not coming down to the temple. You've got your own idolatry going on. And in, in verse 12, do you want to read 12? Read 12? It's about idolatry right here. My people ask counsel at their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a whoring from under their God. Here's another translation. My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. So, Hoshea might be a book that we might need to read in other translations. You know, I'm, I'm, I, every time you read it in King James, I think, oh, wow, that is hard to understand. But the book continues on in chapter five, where um, we've got this um, Beth Avon. So Beth, anytime you have Bethlehem, Bethel, whatever, Beth is house of. Uh, Beth Avon is house of iniquity or house of idolatry. Mm. And we, Judah's leaders are like those who don't have boundaries is the way it's described in chapter five, verse 10. Um, here, here's the NIV translation. Judah's leaders are like those who have no, no, who have moved their boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. And without bounds or limitations, I see that sin can multiply. You know, right. we, we really need God's boundaries as markers. We need his commandments are blessings. His boundaries are blessings. And um, just as the law of chastity, the law of the Sabbath, the law of families, um, all of them are. They're blessings for us, but without these boundaries. And he just refers to the northern nation as Ephraim. They are willingly walking after filthiness. They've broken the commandments and... I see there's a lot of parallels between Hosea's time and our time. I do. I felt the same thing as I was reading through these. For me, there's just this unmooring that's happened from the mm. commandments and then a follow-up, which is justification, mm -hmm. right? Just self-justification. We're going to build our own temple, right? We're going to, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. We'll do it our way instead of yeah. God's way, which is a false God. Yeah. Verse 15, though, is a has a glimmer of hope there. Do you want to read that one? Yeah. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. In their affliction. You know, it's our weaknesses that take us to our knees. 
in our afflictions, they will seek me early. We do cry for God more in pain. And this reminds me of the scripture in Ethan, right? You know, um, I give them to men weakness, so they may be humble. And those weaknesses cause affliction. That's why they're weaknesses, right? But it's all because God loves us. He knows we cannot find happiness by following the adversary. Satan's counterfeit is not going to lead us to happiness. We have got to come to our knees and learn to obey God. In their afflictions, they will seek me early. So I rejoice when the Lord's giving me a tailor-made trial for that very reason. Do you want to move on to chapter six? Let's look at six. Um, Come, let us return to the Lord. He is torn and he will heal. You know, this idea that our Savior has bought us with a price and is beautiful. The messianic prophecies in six are gorgeous. Do you want to read uh, chapter six, verse two? Yeah. After two days, he will, well, sorry, excuse me. After two days, will he revive us? And the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So I sort of feel like after the two days is when Christ is in the spirit prison teaching. And on the third day, the resurrection occurs for those who are going to rise in the morning of the first resurrection after our Savior's resurrection. And we're told that the graves were opened and many appeared to them and that um, those who were righteous and worthy were restored restored to their bodies at that, on that point. So that is one happy time. And then another beautiful verse six, I have required mercy. Remember what that means, the steadfast love that's going to be action oriented, whatever. I have required mercy, not sacrifice, meaning the sacrifice of animals. You know, you guys keep putting animals on the altar and think that you're checking the box. I don't care about the sacrifices, reminds me of our tithes. You know, if we are doing it begrudgingly, the Lord does not need our money. He knows where every vein of gold and (laughs) copper and silver and uranium is in this planet. You know, it's just funny when people say, oh, but the Lord might need my money. I'm thinking, no, the Lord wants your heart. Pay your tithes. Live the law of consecration. Give all you can. But he doesn't care about checking the box. It's not the animal on the altar. It's, right. it's what it's pointing to, our Savior. I have required mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings. To me, this is saying, I don't want the letter of the law. I want the spirit of the law. I want your repentance to be sincere. I want you, you know, I, what is Mormon, Moroni says, you know, they were sorrowing because they were damned rather than sorrowing to lead them to our Savior. These are short chapters. Chapter 7, um, he gives us this whole litany of lies and wickedness, adultery, drunkards, passion, fault finders, um, no prayers, pride, silliness, lack of faith. You can just keep going down clear to verse 8. And then he uses this funny image of, of, of uh, I'm thinking of a pancake that's only half cooked. So the bottom is burnt and the top is still raw. You know, he says, here I've raised you so carefully and you're absolutely good for nothing. No one wants to eat the burnt side and no one wants to eat the raw side. You know? Right. That's a funny image. Yeah, I saw right the there. same one. Yeah. But then in 13, they have transgressed against me, although I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. You know, God is so sorrowing. I just, it is so ironic that he has done everything for us. And yet... Um, not only in Hoshea's world, but in our world, uh, we we turn from him far too often. It's really a good reminder that we can apply the scriptures to ourselves at any time, especially at these destruction chapters. I feel like they are really applicable to the last days. 
I'm glad we're reading the Old Testament for that very reason. And it sounds like in verse 16, I'm still in chapter 7, they returned, but not to the Most High. So just like Gomer, they're returning to their lovers. They are not returning to God. But then finally in chapter 8, they set up kings without my consent. And I just want to remind you, in the northern kingdom, before the Assyrians take them, so just 20, 30 years later, the Assyrians are going to take them away, there's about 18 kings. And if we go back to the book of 2 Kings, there's probably only two that the Lord appointed. And one was that first king, and, right. he, and he blew it. You know, he, he, right. he went sour. And unfortunately, um, the Lord says here, you know, you've set up your own kings and he calls them to repentance all the way down through verse nine. He calls them a wild animal. He calls them a, a donkey, you know, the other word as well in King James, if you're reading that text, <laughs> you know, but he says, they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone and Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. So they're referring to Ephraim as the descendants of that marriage covenant between Zion and God, or Jerusalem and God. You know, as I'm reading these and hearing, you know, hearing these over again, um, this personal journey that Hoshe went through with his mm -hmm. own wife is showing up, yes. you know, over and over yes. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it the absolutely helps. Parallels yeah. to understand the rest of the book. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. It helps us understand the beginning. Chapter 9, all these prophecies of the scattering of Israel. You know, they've been forewarned. They've been given the consequences. And they're told, you know, the land's not going to have any food. The wine press will not feed them. You're not going to have enough. Um, and it's interesting that in verse 15, he starts talking about Gilgal. It says, because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Well, I thought, wait a minute. Gilgal, I don't know if you remember when Joshua comes across in um, the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Gilgal, it's down by Jericho. Mm -hmm. um, and it used to be a sacred space, and then it became an idolatrous place, mm -hmm. which is twice as worse as it being Babylon. You know, Babylon was always Babylon. But here, this used to be a sacred space. And it's not just Joshua. That Also, the captain of the Lord appeared to Joshua there. And then they, they redid, do you remember when they had to redo the circumcisions? And that was done there that they had admitted during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Um, the prophet Samuel appeared had an experience in Gilgal that was made in another sacred space where he's offering burnt offerings there. Um, but unfortunately, it becomes a resort for idolatry is what it sounds like in, in some of the commentaries that I read on it. So do you want to read verse 17? God says, sorry, yeah. guys. Hosha 9, verse 17. Mm -hmm. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him and they shall be wanderers among the nations. And that's what happens for a thousand years. And the nations, meaning among the Gentiles. Gentiles and nations, same word. Um, and then um, in chapter 10, Ephraim is depicted as this, and he's just stubborn and hardened, and he's being yoked as a slave for a while. And I feel like verse 12 describes our days too. Um, chapter 10, verse 12. Do you want to read that one? So to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Rain as in water, R-A-I-N. Oh, it's R-A-I-N. Yeah, not as, not as a king reigns. But yeah, as the but there's rain. going to be, 
not only moisture for the ground, but spiritual water. Christ is the living water. It'll come back. And then chapter 11 is this beautiful poem of hope that God is a loving father and he's involved in your lives. And even though emotionally you guys have been torn apart, God is absolutely heartbroken over this, which I think just what you said, we understand it better thinking of it as Gomer and Hosha. And this beautiful messianic verse, um, 11, one I've already referenced, I will call Egypt, I will call my son out of Egypt. But um, continuing on to verse four, we just get a touch here of God's tender love. I drew them with cords and then skipping down with bands of love to verse eight, chapter 11, verse eight, with bands of love, you know, drawing them in. And um, we've got a, not very many Joseph Smith translations in this area, but in chapter eight, we do. Do you want to read the King James and I'll read the JST? Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, my heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. And often Joseph changed whenever it said my repentings, as if God needed to repent. It says, my heart is turned toward thee and my mercies are extended to gather thee. Isn't that a beautiful um, idea that our, that's what it means when the Lord is turning toward us and we're being kindled together. My mercies are extended to gather thee. And then he says, um, this is actually the NIV. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart is changed within me. My, my compassion is aroused. So just a little bit different, but still that a meaning of complete love. And then I've already quoted a little bit in chapter 12, but it sounds like chapter 12 begins with the northern tribes, the people of Ephraim and the other um, tribes up north have spent their energy on uselessness. They're lying and they join in with godless people. This is tragic. We waste so much time. We're so interested in pleasure and fun that um, we, we fall into a trap far greater, I think, than these northern tribes would have as he denounces their spending energy on useless activities that are not building the kingdom of God. But my favorite, again, is verse 12, where he says, I want you to realize I've been giving you these allegories by the hands of the prophets so that you can see what I'm talking about as well as hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm acting it out for you so you can see it in living color. And then chapter 13, verse 1 is hard to understand. So I'm going to read the NIV again. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he has become guilty of Baal worship and died. So he's going to be taken. And there it, it, it continues on with God being likened unto a she-bear in verses eight. And then a whelp, she's bereaved for her whelps in you know verse nine. Um, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Um, but in me is thine help. Hosha is so good about always seeking repentance and forgiveness. And I also see as part of that idea of a restoration, the theme of a resurrection, which is very rare in the Old Testament. You know, we get it once in a few chapters, uh, once in a few books, you know, it's in Job, it's in Jeremiah once, once, but here it is in Hoshea. Do you want to read chapter 13, verse 14? I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. 
O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Isn't that beautiful? So there, um, it's very, very helpful. And I also feel like the very next line is tricky to understand. And so I encourage you to open up other translations, whether it's on Bible Hub or your own scriptures or wherever else you want to go. But this poem of the return is beautiful. He likens it unto a lush tree that will provide shade. And so many times Israel is the tree. It's right. um, going back to Jacob chapter 5. And then we end with chapter 14, which is another beautiful poem. But this is that hope for Israel to repent and return to God. And that's where the vision of the lush tree comes in. He will provide shade and fruit, just like we read about in the allegory of the olive tree in Jacob chapter 5 in the Book of Mormon. Four, verse 4 stood out to me. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. And backsliding is another word for apostasy. You know, yeah. it's their waywardness. For my anger is turned away from him. For me, backsliding was, you know, sin is often just really gets gets into your heart as a bad habit, right? Mm-hmm. And you try, you try to come to the Lord and you fail, you backslide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is this process. Um, mm-hmm. Addiction can be this way, right? Mm-hmm. And I love this idea that that we can be healed from that. And I've seen this. I've seen this many times. You struggle for a time and then you're healed and just love without reservation, right? Yep. And verse 9 enforces that. The ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them and the transgressor Do you want to read chapter 14, verse 9? Yeah. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressor shall fall therein. Yeah. That's all of our goal, to walk in the path of the Lord. May we do so as you study the book of Hosea. Yeah. And always, thank you.